Hello, this is Tom Pasello, the ROI guy, and welcome to the Evolvers podcast, sponsored by sales enablement platform provider, Mediafly. Our mission, to provide you with the independent insights, community advice, and tools to guide your sales enablement journey and fuel your professional evolution. My guest today is Mike Kunkel, and his mission is to improve sales effectiveness and drive growth for his clients. Mike is currently the VP of Sales Effectiveness Services for Sales Acceleration Consultancy, Sparks IQ, and he is well known as a sales enablement thought leader, author, and speaker. And I'm sure you've seen some of the articles or sat in on one of his talks. He's a founding member of the Sales Enablement Society, co-hosts the Sales Effectiveness Straight Talk webinar series with Tanique Lenderman on SMM Connect. And he is the sales transformation expert on the Sales Experts channel, which Mike, I just joined that as well. He and uh, Doug Wyatt, they host the monthly series, Modern Sales Straight Talk. He has over 25 years of experience, a lot of gray hair, as do I, (laughs) as a corporate leader and consultant, leading departments and projects with the singular mission of improving sales results. And we have the opportunity to tap his experience today to get us set up for 2021 success. Welcome, Mike Kunkel. Hey, Tom, thank you. That was just like my mom wrote it. I hope she approves and gives me approval. She, she would. It's great to be here with you on the Evolvers podcast. Absolutely. So reading some of the articles that I mentioned, um, I get the feeling that there's times where I know, first of all, being as a founder of the Sales Enablement Society, you've got nothing but big belief and uh, big goals for sales enablement. But I know from a lot of articles, I get the sense that you feel like it may be broken in many organizations, how it's been implemented, or at least in need of dramatic change. Explain what you're seeing. Why do you think sales enablement is broken for many? Well, I don't want to be lynched, Tom. So so maybe broken <laughs> is too harsh a word. But, you know, I, I honestly, I do worry about our trajectory as a profession. And, and you're, you're 100% right that I do think we need some dramatic change. You know, some, sometimes it feels like I'm watching history repeat itself. Mm-hmm. I've, been in, I've been involved in the sales training profession for a lot of years. It's how I started, right? So for many of those years, the thought leaders in the field have tried to nudge the profession toward a performance orientation, right? So away from counting butts and seats to earning the mythical seat at the table in truly impacting sales performance. Mm-hmm. Now, I had my first sales training job in 91. So here we are 30 years later and many in training still haven't turned that corner. And I'm seeing the same thing start now with the sales enablement movement. So mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I think there are some incredibly sharp and talented people in our profession. Some of them are making a major impact in their companies and clients. But to be honest, many more are not. And the thought leaders are doing, guess what? Nudging us toward earning a seat at the table and toward truly impacting sales performance. Does any of that sound familiar? So, you know, I think generally we have too much of a focus on running task-based initiatives and Mm -hmm. projects, things like, you know, making good content or getting messaging in place, putting an onboarding program in place, but not enough on 
analytics, diagnostics, root cause analysis, and just figuring out how can we move the needle on the metrics that matter most. That's where I think we need to be, Tom. Yeah, so it's almost like, you know, you need the sales operations type work, right, to set the foundation and to have all of the tools and content and systems in place. But from a bottoms up perspective, that's great, but you kind of need this top down sales transformation strategic approach. And I agree with you, there's too many of us that are so uh, maybe overwhelmed, busy, um, run ragged by a sales force that's ever demanding at times and mm -hmm. are so focused on the tactical that we don't get a moment to take a strategic approach or perhaps don't have the leadership uh, in place to kind of get a seat at the table and to take that more transformative approach. Well, you're, you're absolutely right in that. And I, I have a phrase that I use, master of disaster. And <laughs> I, uh, I use that to mean the, the senior executive who um, is very familiar with his or her knee as it bounces off their forehead, right? And it's the overreactions to the last thing that went wrong, or it's the bright, shiny object syndrome that pulls mm -hmm. people to a new direction. And so it's very hard to be strategic and to execute tactical plans well and to keep a focus on driving performance if, if the map is constantly shifting. So that's a, that's a challenge in itself, um, but there are ways to overcome that. And if someone doesn't start guiding the sales force in the right direction, I'm worried that we're all gonna be replaced by a button. Yeah. And that is a fear that many have as AI and machine learning and uh, comes into play. And at the same time, we know that buyers are very comfortable doing a lot of their research on their own, if not pressing a button to purchase even complex solutions on their own, which we've seen happen. And there's uh, entire marketplaces, like for example, car buying, which is a fairly complex purchase that have been replaced by Carvana and other um, you know, kind of online exclusive um, mechanisms. So on the consumer side, if we're getting used to that, it might not be long before on the B2B side, we get used to that if we don't continue to add value, right? Well, all those B2B buyers are also consumers, right? Mm -hmm. So we're starting, Gartner talks about this too. They're starting to see a lot of bleed over in consumerization of B2B buying. I mean, look at all of the, um, all of the software rating sites. Yep. Right. And platforms, they're trying to, yeah, right. G2 Crowd and Captera and places where, where, you know, they're trying to bring buyers and sellers together. And I saw research recently where um, millennial buyers are saying, you know, they'd rather avoid the sales rep and, and they want peer to peer advice and, you know, that's available through all these platforms that, that has the potential to become a very different world. Um, and especially if we don't change behaviors. Exactly. And I think that, you know, again, looking at your articles, one of the things that I saw uh, come to, to light is you really think that to solve some of these sales enablement, um, tactical kind of issues that we're seeing and get it to be more strategic, that you think it needs to take a much more buyer centric approach. Explain what that's all about. Yeah, so that is a completely true statement. And it actually starts with what's broken with the sales profession versus sales enablement, but there is a dot connection. So let, let's start with, with sales for a second mm -hmm. and take this conversation we've, we've had a step further, right? So we know that buying behavior has already evolved, right? Mm -hmm. It's the sales behavior that's lagging way behind. 
there are still far too many seller-centric feature dumping product pushers <laughs> who, who are playing some numbers game from 1970. And, you know, they're using quote unquote sales techniques and they overcome objectives and they close. I'm surprised we're not stealing rolling rolling pens across the table, right? You know, and if, if we look at the B2B buying research that you talk about, about a third of buyers feel that sellers are well-informed. Mm -hmm. 25% say that their sales reps are effective at gauging with influencers in their company, which means 75% aren't. They're waiting longer to engage. Uh, we've got that millennial buyer thing that, you know, they prefer to avoid sales reps. So if we don't change, it's only going to get worse. So I, I believe we're at or very near finally a tipping point where organizations that don't make a buyer-centric shift will be left behind. I mean, this isn't new. You know all the books that are on the market. I mean, mm -hmm. in Matt Cannon's consultative selling this year was published 51 years ago. And as a profession, as a whole, while there is a bell curve and while there are, you know, is outstanding selling happening out there, we're not there as a profession, right? So to answer your question about what it's all about, we think of buyer-centric selling as uh, learning to sell the way that your buyers want to buy. So it is the best of the past, right? It's consultative, value-based, outcome-oriented, but it needs to be molded with modern buyers in our current climate to help buyers buy in an informed way to solve the problems and achieve the desired outcomes mm -hmm. that matter to them, right? So really it's working in your buyer's best interest. Now, people, you know, say, well, that's kind of, you know, subservient. And I'd say, no, it's servant, but not subservient. Yeah. It's not it's not being a pushover or namby-pamby, right? To operate in your buyer's best interest sometimes takes real courage. You need to ask the tough questions. Sometimes you need to have difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I still think we do need to influence and persuade, but we need to do it ethically with their best interest at heart to help them get where they want to go. All right. So now if we try to dot connect that back to the sales enablement community, mm -hmm. I think it's our job as enablers to guide this evolution. Now, I know we're not going to do it in a vacuum, right? Grassroots up. So working hand in hand with senior sales leadership and then with cross-functional collaboration, this is the path that I think we need to put our sales forces on. We need to evolve to your point, right? Evolver's podcast. Mm -hmm. We need to elevate the profession. And we need to make a complete shift to buyer-centric selling. So anyway, that's, that's, that's my perspective. And I'm, uh, my, what do they say, Tom? That's my story and I'm sticking, sticking to, it. to it. Absolutely. Well, I, I'm obviously a big fan of that buyer centric approach. And like you said, it's not anything new. You and I did not come up with that, but it's something that we um, really have to keep getting out there because you're right. The, the research does show that there is still this engagement gap between mm -hmm. what buyers really want and what sellers are delivering. And um, the folks at Challenger uh, and Gartner Research is aligned with this from Hank Barnes and that team recently updated their B2B buyer survey. And they've been doing it uh, then now post-crisis. So we're getting some post-crisis influence into the numbers. And what they're seeing is that buyer expectations have been elevated through this crisis and seller capabilities perhaps have taken a step back, maybe because it's remote, maybe it's because of pressure whatever it may be, but there is now a 40% gap and a 40% decline in the 
in the capability that sellers are delivering compared to what buyers expect. So this buyer-centric approach um, is going the opposite direction, Mike, which is really not good news for the profession, where maybe because of elevated expectations, maybe because of remote and a decline in capability, we're seeing a widening of this expectation gap and not a decline. Yeah, that is pretty frightening, Tom. And it's it's amazing to me that all this time with all of the great thought leadership that's been published and with the success that organizations have had when they make the shift, mm -hmm. I, I, I just, it's one of the things that, um, that puzzles me to no end. And I get organization, you know, uh, uh, behavioral design theory and organization development and, you know, antecedent behavior consequence and all that stuff. But I, I, it just boggles my mind that there's so much good work out there on how to make these transformations. And it's not that people aren't grabbing it, mm -hmm. but not enough of them are. Yep. And that's put us in, that's put us in this situation that, you know, I think that, um, I think that buyers are going to revolt before too long. Again, the tipping point. I mean, I think mm -hmm. about the number of product-centric, seller-centric, horrible sales pitches I am getting on a daily basis yeah. on LinkedIn, especially, but also in, in, in email, right? Pitches that are coming at me that for things I've, I've never bought in my 35-year career, uh, who, or who don't apply to me, who are obviously not researched or used automation and keywords. And now they're trying to sell me something that insurance agents would buy. And, you know, I worked in the insurance industry. So the word insurance is in my LinkedIn <laughs> profile, but I wasn't an agent. Yeah. You know? So it's just, uh, we're doing so many things backwards. I don't know whether it's out of panic. I don't know whether it's out of uh, not knowing any better and not being aware um, but it's we're, we're headed in the wrong direction and we need to change that. Yeah. Now, Mike, I look at this as an amazing opportunity, right? If you are the seller, if you are the sales enablement group, if you are the solution provider who can implement this buyer centric approach, you will be able to deliver a better buying and selling experience. You'll be able to elevate over the competition. You'll be able to capture that loyalty that uh, the challenger folks talked about being the big differentiator. And yeah. so, you know, we can, we can, you know, talk about the challenge, which you have to do, right, to understand it and motivate change. But at the same time, man, I look at this and saying, if you have that different approach and can meet buyers and meet their expectations or exceed them, you can really stand out in this environment. And Gartner, Hank Barnes and the folks, the folks over at Challenger, which is split off now from Gartner uh, recently, as I said, they updated their research and they talk about how you know, when we look eight years ago, 10 years ago, when that methodology first got introduced around Challenger, um, business was good. And the status quo kind of could be comfortable for a lot of companies. So the whole approach was to be a little bit disruptive, right? Someone who's not afraid to go in and have a point of view with the customer, shake things up a little bit, try to get them to recognize pain, amplify the pain and change from the status quo. And what they're saying now is that, you know, perhaps because of the uncertain times we live in, that a disruptive approach might not be the best, right? It could add to buyer stress. And now with all of the different choices that are out there and the information overload that's there and the uncertainty and the doubt and the overchoice, 
Perhaps you'd be better served with a making sense approach. So talk about your feelings, you know, first of all, about Challenger, about this new approach of making sense and, and what would your advice be? Yes, that is a great topic. And, and look, the research does tell us that buyers are looking for reps who can help them turn data into insights. I've read that specifically and guide them forward. I had a customer say to me once, Mike, you've been doing this a lot longer than we have. Can you help us see around the corner here? Mm -hmm. right? So I'm not sure the disruptive behavior part is welcomed by buyers, but man, that insights piece of challenger, I think yeah. is more relevant than ever. Now that said, Tom, I absolutely love this sense-making stuff that Gartner is publishing. Mm -hmm. uh, and in addition to my friends there, Dave Brock has also written some great posts yeah, about it. Has. Right? It's, it's an increasingly complex world. Everyone is throwing around the old military term VUCA, right? Meaning volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity, mm -hmm. right? It's certainly relevant today and even more so after the year we've all just had and what we're still facing. So I think the sales pros who can help their buyers and clients navigate the complexity in this VUCA world, make sense of things, solve their problems, achieve their desired outcomes, these reps would be the ones that would be the trusted and valued resources. Mm -hmm. And I can't think of anything that's more buyer-centric. I mean, think about Heifetz's work and his definition of technical problems and adaptive problems, right? Technical problems, there's a known solution to it. You can find an expert if you don't know yourself and boom, they can solve that. Mm -hmm. Adaptive problems are problems where there is no known solution and you've got to really use critical thinking and problem solving and diagnostics and trial and error, and you've got to figure things out. I think we're going to be facing much more of that in the future. And I think this is how humans are going to be involved in selling for years to come. Yeah. Who knows, right? There, there could be fewer in transactional roles. There may be fewer overall. I don't have that magic eight ball, but the truly buyer-centric consultative sellers mm -hmm. who can work in these complex environments or solve adaptive problems, I think they've got a really bright future. And all of that aligns with the sense-making stuff I see from Gartner because we, we have to be able to take, I think, by the way, Tom, I think this is sales enablement in a nutshell too, mm -hmm. right? You have to be able to take incredibly complex situations and boil it down to something that someone can understand and act on. Yeah. Now, I'm also a fan on the flip side of that Einstein quote, right, that, you know, you can't oversimplify things either, right? And I see a little bit too much of that sometimes when we're stuck and mired in all of this complexity, and we oversimplify it to the point where our solution isn't going to move the needle at all. Mm -hmm. So there's a balance, right? But you have to be able to help people make sense of things. And so I'm, I'm been really fascinated to see all of that come out from Gartner. Absolutely. And I'm also seeing as well the ability to proactively know what's going to be next for the buyer and the buying committee mm -hmm. and to proactively facilitate their decision making. Because if there's one thing I'm seeing is that the decision making process has become incredibly complex. It's been mired, particularly in the latter stages. So even after the team has made sense of everything and they've, they've kind of narrowed it down to one or two vendors or perhaps even a given solution, just getting it through the committee and the security reviews and the financial reviews and everything else. If your sellers are not proactively anticipating what's coming, every buyer uniquely runs into 
those delays and it pushes out the sale. And I'm seeing that sales enablement can do a big job in helping to proactively arm the sellers with the navigational tools and um, elements that they need to anticipate some of those approval process hurdles. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, and the first geeky thing that jumped into my mind as you were saying that something from my my Six Sigma days is exit criteria, right? Mm -hmm. We we apply this to process management all the time for sellers, right? If you understand the buying journey or buying process, and you know every process has stages and every stage has objectives and tasks and exit criteria. Well, Mm -hmm. exit criteria are just the things that need to be completed in that stage before you can move forward. So if you apply that thinking to your buyers in all these various stakeholders and decision makers, you can say, well, what does each of these buyers need to see, hear, feel, understand, or believe in the current stage to feel comfortable moving forward to the next stage yep. with me? And the, the tricky part, I guess this is why they call it the complex sale, right? <laughs> or Tim Ohio always says, uh, you know, things always look great on paper until people get involved. Um, <laughs> right? The, the tricky part is that some of the exit criteria will be the same across those various buyers. Mm-hmm. And some of the exit criteria in the same stage will be different because yeah. people have different priorities, motivations, goals, objectives, points of view, whatever yeah, it is. Processes even. Yeah. Right. Right. So organization. And it's, we know that it's, you know, the, the map is not the territory. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a process is supposed to be a linear map of the way things are, but it doesn't it doesn't progress always linearly. And if you think about exit criteria, in a stage where you have, we have six buyers, you may have met the exit criteria for three, and they would conceptually be prepared to move forward to whatever the next logical step is. The other three, you know, you're either trying to drag them across the finish line, you know, or the, the line to the next stage, right, which is not really a great way to be working, uh, or you know, you're, you're assuming worse that you know, they're ready to move forward and sales reps create their own problems this way, mm-hmm. rather than identifying the individual exit criteria, clarifying them to understand it, doing something to meet that criteria, and then confirming with each of them whether in fact you've met it, it's the criteria is satisfied and they're ready to move forward. And, you know, as simple as all that sounds for me to say it on a podcast, I just don't see a lot of sales pros trying to manage these complex deals that way. Yeah. Instead, they're pushing it forward almost without regard to it, right? To that next step in the internal sales process and those internal sales criteria and not focusing on the buyer criteria. Bingo. Yep. And I think that's part, there's a design issue with that too, right? You've got state, you've got a sales process map that's usually baked into the CRM system, let's say Salesforce. And there are certain stages that are measured, right? Mostly for forecasting. And those stages have internal criteria. Very rarely do I see it mapped to external criteria, which would be much more effective. Yeah, I, I, I completely understand that there are things like qualification, right? There are mm-hmm. things that a sales force or a seller still needs to do in their own tasks in their sales process. But if it's not aligned to that buying process, yeah. it's like constantly running into a, a closed door. It just makes no sense to me. 
So when you talk about Six Sigma and, uh, you know, design of systems like that, there's a, a first step, a second step, a third step. So let's talk about that. You know, if you wanted to kind of begin or accelerate the buyer-centric evolution within your own organization, what would you do first, second, third, Mike? Okay, so first things first, you've got to make the commitment yourself, mm -hmm. and then you have to get top-down support in your company, right? Because uh, there are some deep-seated things in sales organizations. I just think about the phrase, as an example, overcoming objections. Mm -hmm. Think about it. Can you imagine something more combative? Yeah. Take away how many times you've heard that and just look at it raw for what it means. And then ask yourself, how many buyers are sitting there in their home office right now <clears throat> waiting for the phone to ring so a sales rep can overcome their objection? Yeah. Think about how that works personally in your life with, let's say, your spouse in overcoming objections, <laughs> right? And it's going to work even less to a buyer who doesn't know you from Adam, for the most part, in a relationship. So keep going, Mike. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, so I asked I ask the question sometimes, well, imagine that all of your sales training and enablement materials accidentally fell into the hands of your top five mm -hmm. customers. Would you be mortified or proud? Mm-hmm. And if you don't have the right answer to that question, you definitely need to start changing on mindset, right? So, yeah. all right. So back to, so first things first, yeah. you got to get commitment. You got to get top-down support because this is a real organizational company-wide change management effort. I don't want to scare mm -hmm. people away, but you got you to start thinking bigger if yeah. you want to make real change, right? So, you know, use the available B2B buying research, use the research and publications from analysts like Gartner as insights and catalysts for change mm -hmm. to get people on board. Now, I just like saying this, Tom, but as a realist, if you can't get an organization-wide commitment at first, start with your senior sales leader and your sales management team. Mm -hmm. Then as sales enablement leaders, right, what we should do anyway, then you can can begin to cross-functionally work to get buy-in from other leaders and have your senior sales leader help you. And then it starts with a charter, mm -hmm. right? You need to develop or rework your sales enablement charter to ensure that everybody is aligned. And to me, yeah. that's, the, that's the starting point. And that the buyer is at the center of that charter, right? Absolutely, right? Yeah. Everything that we're doing in all of these departments need to be supporting the customer and the buying experience. Mm -hmm. right? And that, you know, this is like the old Zig Ziglar quote, you get what you want in life by helping enough other people get what they want. I think this is the true paradox of, of, of selling. It's also the paradox of management, right? You, you know, and no manager is going to solve every problem or sell every deal, right? They succeed because they can help their team succeed. Mm -hmm. they, they become a force multiplier. We're the same for our, our customers and everything in the organization has to revolve around that. The second thing I think then is to diagnose first before you prescribe. And I'm, I'm getting tired of hearing myself say this, but I think the message has to be said and has to be adopted. Assess your sales force. Where are they? What is the current state versus your desired future state? And for those of you who are out there listening, if that sounds a little like sales discovery, you've made an important dot connection, right? So as part of this diagnosis, then you can compare and contrast real buyer-centric behavior with what your sales force does today. Then you want to identify gaps in both mindsets, like the overcoming objection thing, mm -hmm. and the skill sets, 
What does it look like to act in a buyer-centric way? You're still selling, you're still influencing at times, right? But how are you operating in your buyer's best interest as you do that? And then you can use that diagnosis and gap analysis to create a plan, mm -hmm. right? And we work with a partner who has phenomenal diagnostic tools. We have a few of our own. So if anybody needs help out there, you can we, we can do that. But however you choose to do it, make diagnose first, then prescribe your mantra. It should be anyway, I think, for everything we do in sales enablement. Then you can just create a plan to close the gaps, to replace old seller-centric behaviors with newer buyer-centric behaviors. And the last piece of that, right, is you execute you measure, you evaluate, you pivot as needed, but you've got to stay the course long enough until the rubber band stretches to its new length, right? And buyer-centric selling becomes the way we do things around here and is just part of your culture. Yeah. And so and that's what I, I recommend. Agree. Yeah, I agree. And I, I've seen a lot of organizations kind of maybe tackle, you know, let's say the tool set, right? Since I'm in technology, I'll see a lot of tool set initiatives. But meanwhile, the mindset has not changed at all. They'll still um, be pushing, you know, the quarterly numbers despite customer pushback as much as possible. And, you know, it'll break down any kind of buyer centric approach or, you know, you invest in the mindset, but then you don't have the skill set or the tool set to back it up. So I think it's got to be across all of those. And, and as you said, where are you and what are the gaps is the most important way to approach it once you have that kind of top down commitment and charter and then focus on the measurement once it's in place so that, you know, if you're moving the needle and you can then gain agility from the intelligence that you have to make changes to see what gaps are closing and mm -hmm. which ones are persisting in the organization. Yeah, I'm going to ask you to follow me around and summarize me all the time. That was awesome. Yeah, that's exactly, <laughs> that's, that's, that's exactly it. There's one thing I can do is that listen and summarize and codify. It's usually uh, part of that engineering skill. I think I've, I've at least retained that piece of it. Um, Mike, we always wrap up our sessions and this one today went by really quick. So I know we're going to have you back before too long, but today going into 2021, what's the one piece of advice you'd like to leave our evolvers with? <laughs> For goodness sake, stop reinventing the wheel. <laughs> uh, look, there, there's an entire performance improvement body of knowledge out there, uh, most of which far precedes sales enablement, right? Mm -hmm. I meant I dropped a few earlier, organization development, organization behavior. These are disciplines you can actually get degrees in. Mm -hmm. There's Six Sigma, Lean Sigma, Total Quality Management, Human Performance Technology, which is quite a moniker, but there's some great books out there on it. Change management, you know, it always makes people moan when I say that sales enablement is change management, but it is. Yes. And in one of my favorites, performance consulting, right? So th those are a few of the disciplines that are out there. And, you know, sometimes I see people like reinventing wheels that have been around for 50 years, right? So become a student of your craft, then diagnose first, then prescribe. I said it again, mm -hmm. right? Learn how to change your organization behavior and drive performance improvement and results. We have to shift away from just being task focused to being outcome focused. And in my opinion, Tom, that would put people in the top 4% of the field, the top 20% of the top 20%. And that's probably the best advice that I can think of to offer for a fellow evolvers. So 
I hope it helps. It does. And that's where I want to be. I've got a growth mindset. I know many of us in the Evolvers community do, and uh, we really appreciate that advice and pointing us in the right direction. Mike, how can folks reach out to you online? Well, it's pretty easy to hunt me down on LinkedIn, uh, on Twitter. You can go to my website at mikekunkel.com or through my employer, SparksIQ, which is S-P-A-R-X-I-Q.com. Um, if you go to modernsalesfoundations.com and you click on the buyer-centric selling link, you can actually scroll down there and we have a downloadable cheat sheet for people for buyer-centric selling that might help people get started on that journey if they're interested. Um, and it, look, if you're listening to this podcast and you follow Tom's work, you are absolutely the type of person I like to have in my network. So if, if we're not connected, please feel free to reach out on on LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest and fastest way to, to get in touch. Absolutely. And we will publish the link to your LinkedIn address as part of the meeting notes. Awesome. Mike, Mike Kunkel, thank you for joining us and participating in the Involvers, making it a great and growing community. You, sir, are very welcome. It was an honor to be invited. I have followed your work and admired it for years. So uh, great to be here. And uh, I heard you mention it, so I'm holding you to it. I'll be back. Yeah, absolutely. And it was an honor to have you as well. I have followed you and your writing. And um, I know we've participated in a couple of uh, webinars and panels together. And I hope we can do that real soon, besides having you back on the Evolvers. Until next time, Evolvers, keep evolving. <laughs>